real lawyers, real life challenges, real results. Welcome everyone to the podcast. This podcast is for you if you have your own law firm, if you have a real life business management challenge, or maybe more than one with your law firm, and if you are committed to putting in the work to get real results. This podcast is not for you if your law firm is perfect. And if you have never had and don't ever expect to have any marketing or sales or management or financial challenges, this podcast is also not for you if you are looking for a magic pill or a magic wand or a magic potion or magic solution. Um, Your law firm is a real business and it responds in very predictable ways to certain inputs around each of the seven main parts. If you input garbage, your law firm is going to give you back garbage. If you input good business management practices, then your law firm is going to begin working for you just as soon as you begin implementing those business practices, those good business management practices. You know, your law firm doesn't hold a grudge against you. It'll start working for you as soon as you start letting it work for you. In each episode, we interview a real lawyer with a real law firm whose law firm was experiencing some very real challenges. And we asked that lawyer to speak openly and honestly about one big challenge that he or she was experiencing, how they overcame it, and what the results have been since then. And of course, we know that you want to know, so we are going to ask our guests to get into some specific details about the nature of the challenge and exactly what steps they took to overcome that challenge. Our guest this week is Catherine Miller from, I know you're from Westchester. Is Westchester the city or the county in New York? It's the county where our office is in New Rochelle and we also have an office in Manhattan. Well, Catherine, welcome to the show. Really a pleasure to have you here. We've known each other now for how many years? Five years. Five years. How did we meet? Do you remember? Um, it must have been at a workshop shortly after I joined How to Manage um, at a, a business planning workshop or, or something like that. I mean, obviously we passed. But how did you discover? Calling. But how did you discover my company? How, oh, how did small I discover you? Yeah, well, um, I had some issues with my firm, and this really had to do with my unhappiness with my first associate. I'd gone. I'd been in business for a number of years. Never thought about having an associate, and then sort of. My path crossed with somebody I thought it would be good to bring on. I brought her on, but I didn't have any policies or procedures or any way to tell her what I wanted her to do. So, you know, since that's the way of things, it didn't work out the way I wanted it to. And I was really uh, frustrated and unhappy. And I was complaining to my office manager all the time. And I thought, this can't be a good thing. And I started to look around, like on the internet for things and for groups on LinkedIn. And you posted something in a LinkedIn group where some guy was whining on about his law firm or whatever. And he basically said to him, that's bullshit. (laughs) And I'm like, who is this guy who has the courage to stay on LinkedIn? You know, like, that's that's bullshit. And you went on. And he's just like, no, it's not our job. And you're like, yeah, it is. And here's why. A, B, and C. I can't remember the details. And so then I was, I, I got intrigued by who you were and what you were saying and, and how that might be able to help me. And I listened to a whole bunch of stuff. And then I got the courage up to have a, a call with Chris Dyson. And then Chris Dyson, you know, and I talked. And he talked all this business stuff. I had no idea what he was talking about. But he can convince me to come to uh to an introduction, you know, to a to an LQM discovery day. To a now discovery day, and and it was in Venice, California, all the way, you know, miles and miles away, and I was freaking terrified 
and I went and I was like, all right, well, I'm going to do this thing because nothing else is working for me. Well, I'm so glad that that happened. <laughs> I don't know who that person was who was talking all that bullshit, but I guess we should both thank him because he, he brought us together. So. Yeah, I have no idea who it was either, but I'm sure he's not the only person you've called out on the internet for <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> well, people do talk a lot of bullshit. So welcome to the show. Um, we got to begin where we always begin with these with these podcasts and just name, rank, and serial number for the benefit of all the lawyers who will be listening to this. Um, how old are you? 58. And you're married to Rich? I am married to Rich, yes. And we have five kids. And you've got, I'm sorry? We have five kids. Five kids. Okay. Five. And their ages? Oh, they range in age from 16 to 31. All right. And... What was your education before you went to law school? I went to Vassar College, and I, and I got a BA there, um, and then I took a year off, and then I went to law school. I went to Fordham Law School in Manhattan. Why did you decide to go to law school? Well, um, I was interested in justice, and um, oops, sorry about that. I was interested in justice, and I thought that's what law school was about. And uh, it really, um, I discovered in the orientation session, that's not what law school is about. Uh, but I didn't have a plan B, so I stuck it out. Uh, I've always been interested in people and and sort of family relations. And my I come from a family of therapists, but I've always thought that I was too bossy to be a therapist. So it seemed like family law was a good thing to do once I realized it wasn't going to be about saving the world. So when did you graduate from law school? 1986. All right. So I've, I've spoken with, I've had interviews with lawyers of all different ages. Um, back in the uh, 80s, did they teach you anything in law school about the business of running a law firm? No. They, in fact, encouraged us only to consider working for a big law in New York City. Well, and We weren't supposed to think about that at all. <laughs> they still don't teach you anything about the business of running a law firm in most law, firm, law, in most law schools. So yeah. that hasn't changed, uh, sadly. So hopefully someday it will. Um, so you graduated from law school. Your undergraduate was, what was it again? I went to Vassar, and I majored in political science. Okay. Where you didn't study marketing or sales or how to hire, train, manage, make a profit with staff, financial controls, or anything like that, right? No. And you didn't study any of that in law school? No. And then you got out of law school, and then what? I worked um, at uh, some small firms uh, for about 15 years, uh, and then... Um, where, which were mostly very badly run <laughs> in hindsight. It was pretty obvious in the firm I worked at for the long time because we were constantly having money issues. I was nagging my boss about getting his billables done all the time, and we were taking clients that uh, we really shouldn't take because he needed the money. And I'd be like, why are we taking this client? You know, they're going to be a terrible client. We should say no. And he would say, well, we need the money. And that's what my experience was with how not to run a law firm. You know who else does things they know they shouldn't do just because they need the money? Who else? Do I know? Are you asking me or are you you're telling me? 
Uh, it was sort of a rhetorical question. Yes. Uh, there's a job description for people who do things they know they shouldn't do just because they need the money. What is this? I'll let you figure that out. All right. So, <laughs> so, uh, so 15 years of bouncing around small law firms. And when did you finally decide to start your own law firm? I decided uh, just because I, after I got divorced myself, um, we would, I, I was in a firm where we did about half matrimonial litigation and half uh, child welfare litigation. So I did a lot of litigation and I was in court on family issues, you know, all the time. And I, after I got divorced myself, I realized that what I suspected hadn't been true, it was really true, and that is that it's a, the courtroom is a terrible place for families. And even though my ex-husband and I settled outside of the courtroom, I just figured I just didn't want to work in that model anymore. And I certainly knew there was no future for me in the firm that I just described. You know, there was no way he could ever bring me in as a partner because he could barely pay his own bills and I didn't want to be his partner either. So I thought, you know what, maybe I'll just stop being a lawyer altogether. I'll do something else. And I quit my job and I sort of, um, I did some legal work. I worked from home for a few years. I married Rich. We had another, we had a child together. Um, and then um, I got pretty serious about my own firm in the beginning of 2003. And by so you I started. Firm, I mean, like I I rented an office. <laughs> so you started the firm you have today, in let's just call it 2003. Yes. Okay. Um, do you remember what the revenues were back then? I don't. I know that you, between. What, what's I, I the first a, year that you're? Sorry. I, I mean, the, the first year that I can tell you what the revenues were. Yeah. The revenues, you know, they climbed pretty steadily from, you know, maybe about a hundred thousand to about five hundred thousand, uh, and where I pretty much maxed out kind of on my own um, between two thousand. When was that? And 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 I hired the associate that drove me into your arms. Um, I hired her in 2012. And what were the revenues that year? Uh, the revenue that year was was probably about 495. Okay. So 2013 or 2015, it was 495. Yeah, in 2013. I mean, I I can tell you. I can tell you what it was in 14, 15, 16, and 17, and where we are here. Um, but you know, we got we got to pretty much on my own at about 500,000 with me, you know, just dancing as fast as I can. I'm in the New York area, so my hourly is higher than the, probably the average hourly in the country. That, that's but 500,000 was you just kind of killing yourself. Exactly. Okay, and that was 2015. Yeah. All right. What was 2016? 2016 was about 600. 17. A million thirteen. One million and thirteen thousand. Yeah. I'm just gonna call it a million. All right. And 2018. 2018. We're at, we're, 
this is 2018 and we're in we're, we're we got one month left we're in november so what was 2018 going to be it's going to be um, between a million five and a million six and at 500,000 you were killing yourself does that mean you're triple killing yourself now no no, now I have other attorneys. I've got more paralegal staff. You know, I really have much more of an operation than uh, just me killing myself. What do you think it means to the client to have their lawyer killing herself to do 500000 versus what do you think it means to the client to have the owner, sort of the mastermind of the firm, grossing a million five? working a lot less from the client's perspective because you had a choice if you if you um if you had a friend in another state who needed to get a divorce and they were looking at two different lawyers and both lawyers went to law school together and graduated with the same class and you know were equally smart and were equally caring and were equally creative and were equally you know as equal as equal could be but one of the lawyers had a half a million dollar firm on her own and the other had a one and a half million dollar firm with a team, which law firm would you tell your friend to hire and why? I would tell them to hire the bigger firm for a number of reasons. One is just the time factor. You know, there are more hours of professional hours available in a firm that has more people in it. Uh, and sometimes you just need that. And because if you have someone who's, just spinning the plates as fast as they can and running around, then that person, that lawyer, is constantly in reactive mode. And you don't want your lawyer in reactive mode. You want your lawyer in proactive mode to be thinking about the problem, getting ahead of the problem, strategizing about how to get you the best possible result. And, and that makes a huge difference. Also, availability. We work as a team here so that every case has two lawyers who know what's going on in it. So if, if lawyer A, if you know the head lawyer is, if I'm the head lawyer and I'm not available or I'm sick or I'm on vacation and someone has a question they want answered, they don't want to wait for me to get back from my meeting. They want to be able to, answer, to have the question answered by another lawyer or by, by the paralegal or at least get some kind of you know, information and, and explanation as to or understanding as to when a more complete answer will be given. And I think that that makes a, a really, really big difference uh, to the to the client experience and the client results. Well, if you were to get sick, if, if one of the attorneys on the team... I was Sorry? sick. I, when I was a solo, I, in 2010, I had a major operation, and I was in the hospital two times for long periods of time. And I, you know, and I was working from the hospital because I didn't have any other choice. You know, there was no one there to take care of it. So now I know that if I'm hit by a truck or I, this this place runs without me, they don't need me. It's nice for them to have me here. I give good advice, you know, and, and guidance. But all of our cases, no matter who in the firm would be sick or unavailable or that the clients are always taken care of. Do you find that most or even any of your clients are sophisticated enough consumers to really appreciate the significance of what you said? Some are. Um, 
Uh, mostly they're not, though, I think. that, But some definitely are. I mean, some people will say, are you a solo? Because they don't want, they want a, more of a depth of experience. You know, I have a lot of clients who who work in big law because I'm, you know, in that area, and they certainly understand the the value of, of the depth of the of the team, but they also appreciate the ability to reflect on the situation and come up with a really thoughtful answer instead of a reactive answer. But a lot of people don't, you know. I mean, it's really surprising to me how, uh, you know, people will, will Google to find a lawyer, you know, to help them through a really important and difficult and and um, significant change in their life. I mean, people will Google heart surgeon, I guess. I mean, I don't, I don't. I don't hey, really you can go on eBay and find used scuba diving equipment. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to buy it. <laughs> exactly. People do all kinds of crazy that. things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. Now we know you're a real person and you're a real lawyer and you have a real law firm. Um, you came onto the show to share a challenge that you were experiencing and, of course, the solution that you discovered, implemented, figured out in order to try and help others who may be experiencing a similar challenge in hopes that they'll be able to uh, implement a similar solution and, and have a better life. Um, what is the challenge that you came onto the show to share? Well, it's really interesting because it's not like, oh, it's hiring or it's marketing or it's, you know, my office space or anything. All of those things are included in my um, my 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 thinking about this and, and the challenge. But it really, it's more of a sort of a mindset thing. And so uh, I was at a live quarterly meeting with How to Manage a few years ago, and you were speaking, and 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 I'm not even sure that this was sort of the major point of the of the whole LQM. But you had this one time when you were talking to those of us there about what was getting in our way was our own embarrassment and our own shame or worry about what other people thought about us, or that we were going to look bad to ourselves, or we we're going to look bad to our families or our friends. And 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 I had this like this horrible moment, really where I realized that you were talking about me. Now, I know you weren't talking about you were not talking about me, but you know that that song where Berta Flack sang strumming, strumming me softly with his words? Like, that was it. Yeah. I'm like, oh, shit. Like, that's it. You know, and I had been a member of How to Manage for a while, like, you know, two, two and a half years, and I thought I was doing everything that I was supposed to do, and I wasn't getting really the results that I was expecting to get. And I'm kind of looking around going, what am I doing wrong? You know, everybody else seems to be doing so great, and I'm still getting the same results. And I realized that I was I was kind of going through the motions, you know. I was, you know, writing policies and procedures, but I wasn't really implementing them. I was hiring people, but I wasn't really doing it the way that um, – I was being coached to do. I had an excuse for why I didn't do it that way. I had a reason. I was really just doing the same old thing, you know, maybe in a larger scale, but the same old, same old, and I wasn't changing anything. And so um, after that really uncomfortable experience, you know, I really started to think about um, what I needed to do 
to get results, not just to think about it differently and, you know, do all the things that I'm supposed to do or, you know, I thought I was supposed to do that I thought I was doing. And um, when I really, and, and this took me, so it was an epiphany, but it didn't, it wasn't like an overnight fix. You know, I really made a commitment to myself to, to be honest about that you know, about honest about where I was getting in my own way, not only with myself, but with my coach, with my team, you know, um, with my managing partner, and, and, and not just try to look good all the time. I wasn't going for the gold star. I was going for the real results and real change. And, and when I, after I did that, um, I realized that I wasn't really telling anybody what my goals are. So I had, you know, my my administrator, but she didn't know what my goals were. I had, you know, other staff, and they didn't know what the firm's goals were. And I thought, well, I'm not supposed to tell them, or I'm embarrassed about what they're going to think. And so I, I, I told them. I brought Mary, my office administrator at the time, you know, uh, and she's still here, to an LQM, and I shared with her, you know, what the plan were. We instituted quarterly retreats in the firm where I am transparent about the goals and the results for the firm. And, you know, and it's not just me and I, sh- I share that. We make goals together. And and for me, what's, what's kind of happened is that now I, I see my, my business like a video, like a driving video game. Now, I'm not really much of a video game person, so this is probably like a 1980s version of a video game. <laughs> Atari. <laughs> it's one of those, no, it's kind of like it's in a restaurant, you know, and there's a like a little okay. steering wheel, and you like sit in the seat, and there's a little you, like a little me, like the back of you, like in the car, right? And you're trying yeah. to go, you're, you're like taking it through the, the streets or the, or, you know, Mario Brothers or something, and there's obstacles like you have to sort of go through the course and then there's obstacles that come on and you have to go like pow boom you know or like you know get them or go around them or sort of push them out of the way or whatever and you know and because that's what I know I need to do like if I'm really clear in my cerebral cortex my intellect before I get like my fear involved I know what I need to do to get where I want to go and then what happens sometimes is these things come in I and I call it the purple fog from the bottom right side of the screen comes this purple fog, and it kind of obscures what I need to do, or it try it makes it look a little bit different. That is my emotions. That's like that's my fear, or that's my, you know, worry, or my anxiety, or my embarrassment. Like comes on, and I see. Like I'll say to myself, Catherine, you know, you need to hire another lawyer. Why haven't you hired another lawyer? Right. There, what's the reason for that? There's no reason. You can tell yourself, oh, well, you don't have enough resumes or you don't have this or you've been too busy, you know, but that's bullshit. You know, you haven't, you know you need to hire it, so find someone and hire it and do what you need to do to hire that person, not it, he or she, you know, and, and that's a purple fog. And so when I'm really clear about it with myself and I can just, I can call myself on my own, stuff about, you know, what I'm not doing, that's really mm-hmm. made a huge difference for me, you know, where I get real clarity and I'm really honest with myself. And that means also that if I think about the thing I least want to do as a business owner, that's usually the thing I most need to do. Amen to that. That's so true. Um, you, you can, Most lawyers can make a lot more money 
just doing that one single thing you just said, the thing you least want to do is usually the thing you most want to do. And the reason you least want to do it usually is because it's the most uncomfortable. And the reason it's the most uncomfortable is because it usually involves making the most change in your business and your business needs to change. Right. Hey, you know, as you're telling me this, it's occurring to me. <clears throat> um, do you talk about any of this with your clients ever? Do I? Talk have you shared this story? With, have you shared this story about the video game and the purple fog and 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 you know knowing what you you know knowing in in your in your heart of hearts what you know you need to do, but then fear of what other people are going to think and fear of the judgments of other people and, you know, needing to look good and all of that sort of clouding their judgment. I mean, clouding your judgment. Do you ever talk about, you share this with any of your clients ever? I have shared it with a couple of them. I, I certainly, because um, I, I think for, in what I do, in, you know, the kind of work that I do, it's that's a huge thing, right? What people worry, what other people are going to think and shame and embarrassment is, a, a, you know, in the divorce world, something that comes up for people a lot. And I think that it's helpful to share my personal opinion and my personal experience of things with them. And so, in in, in for, with I've, I have with a couple of clients um, who I thought that it would help. Have you ever considered building any kind of a marketing message around sharing this? this lesson, this observation? No, but now that you're saying it, it's, 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 it's worthy of consideration, I think. It can't hurt, right? Yeah. I mean, you can imagine there's probably a bunch of lawyers who will get a hold of it and make fun of you, but who cares? Because they're not going to refer business to you anyway. Yeah, you know. But on the, on the other hand, I'm thinking there's a lot of people who would get a hold of that and I mean, kind of like that one comment that I made on that LinkedIn discussion or whatever it was years ago that I don't even remember and you don't even remember, brought it together and we've done a lot of business together and we, you know, you've referred business to me and I've, you know, like to think that I've made some contributions to your life. And all of it is because I just was out there sort of sharing stuff. Yeah. And it seems to me like only really good things could happen for you if you were to share this with people, because the kind of people who it will resonate with in a very positive way, they're going to become really, I mean, they're the kind of people you want to have as clients, right? Absolutely. And anyone who would respond negatively to your generosity and sharing that message, I mean, I'm not saying everyone's got to love it to be your client, but anyone who's going to be a jerk about it is probably someone you don't want to have as a client to begin with. Yep. Yeah, I think I think it's a good idea. I mean, the, the idea that people would make fun of me doesn't really, it really doesn't bother me anymore. People do that all the time, you know, in my community because they think that I market too much or I do this or I do that, and you know, uh, whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's their problem. <laughs> Lawyers who are broken, struggling, always say things like that. Right. You know, and and the funny thing is, you know. When you were when you were doing a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, three hundred thousand a year, compared to a million five a year, I mean, how many more people are you helping now versus before? 
Oh, so many more. So many more. Because it's not just me. You know, I am on a mission to change how people divorce. And you cannot do that just one client at a time. You need a machine for that. You need, and you really need a platform. And you can't be a platform as a solo. You just can't. It's not possible. You know, I was talking to one of our one of our members recently, um, and we were joking. It's like you can't. Everyone's always talking about you know they want to change the world and this and that. It's like you can't change the world on a budget. The bigger your business, the more successful your business, the more profitable your business, the more you are changing the world. And that's what it's not that you build the business big so you can change the world. It's the business gets big because you're changing the world. And if your business isn't growing, it's because you're not really changing the world as much. You know, happy clients are what make law firms grow fast. And your law firm has gone has gone from, you know, fifty thousand to a million five or a million six in four uh, five hundred thousand to a million five or a million six in in four years. I mean, that doesn't happen unless you're helping a lot of people. Nope. So so what was it so, so the challenge was just just restate the challenge again for everyone. The challenge was, was, was the challenge was basically getting honest with myself about what I needed to do to get where I wanted to go, and to not just tell myself I was going through the act the, the the actions, and, and nothing was happening. Well, because if some mysterious says I'm super special, you know what works doesn't work. That that's what it really was, and to make myself do the things that were hard for me to do, and that I didn't want to do in order to get where I wanted to go. And and the more that I did that, the clearer it became what I needed to do and the clearer it became when I was bullshitting myself. And how do you feel now? I mean, I'm just like, I, I'm remembering that first mastermind that we went to. I, I remember that. And <clears throat> um, I mean, how do you feel now as, I mean, just to say, my firm is going to cross a million five or a million six this year. It feels good, but it's not enough, and that's not where we're stopping. Because now that I know, like, how to sort of get out of my own way and how to build the business, it's it's incredibly exciting to me. What else we can do here? What is this doing for your self-esteem? What is this doing for your self-image? What's this doing for your personal relationships? Well, those are all really different questions, you know. But for one thing, it's really interesting because I'm learning to do something new, and and that is to run a business. And as I learn to run a business, you know, not just I'm a very good lawyer. Right? This, as you pointed out earlier in the program. Being a really good lawyer has absolutely nothing to do with running a good business. And so it's a whole new skill set that I feel really good about because I feel like I can uh, create a, a great en environment for my employees, for the people who work here. I, I can be a leader of them and a leader of for my clients to go through a really difficult time in their lives and 
you know, the people who work with the firm, even if they don't work with me directly, also get the benefit of that experience and that vision. And that feels really good uh, to me. It feels really like I'm helping other people, which makes me happy to do. And it, it just makes me a lot more comfortable in my life. You, you know, you you mentioned this a couple of times that you're that you, you're changing the way people approach divorce, and, and I think that's a really important part of the story. And I apologize we didn't ask, I didn't talk about this sooner. What what is that all about? Well, I believe that the courtroom is a bad place for families. That was my experience in all the years that I did all that litigation, and I think that basically through collaboration, conversation, you know, and facilitated negotiation, people are capable of finding the best result for themselves with help, and and that's what I do. We do some litigation here. I personally don't do any uh, because I just think it's a, it's a difficult place and it's a last resort. I think that people are, are capable of coming up with best options, the best results on their own. Stephen Covey wrote a book called The Third Alternative, and basically the summary of the book is that if we work together, we can find a, a, a solution that's better than the solution that I came in with or that you came in with uh, that as our ideal solution if we put our minds together and think about what, what's most important to both people and you know if there are children involved as well and that's really what I believe in and what we our brand is here at the, in, in my firm how do lawyers who want to refer business to you try to explain this to their clients yeah I, th I think that's like I remember I, I like I got a I got a call from I'm in Florida you're in New York so obviously I couldn't refer this to you but I, I got a call from a, a person that I, I know. I'm not going to talk about who it is. And he was like, I, you know, I need a referral to a real bulldog, you know, for a family law matter. And, you know, anytime people say something like that, it's always like a big red flag to me that they're not thinking this stuff through. Right. And, I, and I happen to know that there were kids involved. And I, and I just talked to him like, you really want a bulldog? I mean, you want someone who's just a bulldog or you want someone who's effective? Well, you know, I, I guess you're right. I, I want someone who's effective. I'm like, well, what if someone's a bulldog and they're not effective, but they're effective by being nice and friendly and you know not an asshole? Well, you know, I yeah, I guess I guess I then I don't want a bulldog. I want someone who's effective. And you know, and then we start talking about, um, you know, what is what are his priorities? Are his priorities winning? Or are his priorities being able to go to his kids, you know, soccer game and graduation and wedding and with the grandchildren in the future, uh, knowing that the ex-wife is going to be there and not have the kid, you know, dreading the fact that mom and dad are at the soccer game and dreading the fact that mom and dad are going to go to the same graduation and dreading the fact that, I mean, which is more important to you, winning or winning you know winning the battle or winning the war and you know anyway by the time we were done with it he was like no no no, no. i definitely don't want a bulldog I, I want someone who's gonna like keep my family together even though they're getting divorced yeah so i'm just curious how you how you how do you communicate this to your to your 
to, to lawyers who are in a position to refer business to you? Well, I think that the the process of divorcing is really uh, is kind of an iterative process. I Meaning, you know, there are a number of stages, and the first thing is is that you want someone. I wrote a blog post a number of years ago, ago called "Gorillas Don't Make Good Lawyers" because you don't want to be dealing with a gorilla yourself. You know, that person who's a gorilla or a bulldog is going to treat you as a client that way too. So you want someone who's really going to be able to help you figure out what's most important right, to you and your family, and then help you get that, what's most important, and and help you figure that out despite your hurt, despite your pain, despite your betrayal, despite your mistrust, and who's going to really have your back on those key important things. Because what ends up happening is if you have a bulldog, you know, they go for what they think is the most important thing, which might and often doesn't have anything to do with what you, the person, the party, the client really wants and hopes and dreams. And I think the way you talked about it, Arjan, is really true, that what people really want when they think about their own true selves is good things, not bad things for the other person. But sometimes it's hard to remember that in the heat of the moment. So... So I think that for lawyers who are thinking about how to talk to, to people that they know or, or clients of them, that they have that are getting divorced and they don't do that work, is they want to, they want to find a lawyer who's going to uh, – that they're going to feel that the, that the client will feel has their back, has the experience and the perspective to help walk them through the negotiation process because in New York – 97% of divorces settle before a judge makes a decision out after a trial. Nationwide, I think that number is, is nine, better than 90%. In any state in this union, the chances of actually going to trial are very slim. And so what you really want is someone who can help you in the negotiation and, and, and deal with and have the experience to deal with whoever, whatever the conflict dynamic is in the couple and in the family, understand the issues, and make and help the client identify what's most important to them, and again, and make sure they get that. Which, which kind of brings me back to the challenge that you were, which kind of brings me back to the challenge that you were talking about, because I would imagine, I, I could imagine, I, I don't have to imagine, I, I was that person at one time. I, I could imagine that a person who's really worried about what other people are going to think about them and is going to have, you know, if you're really worried about what other people are going to think about you, you're going to have a hard time with your marketing, which is going to cause cash crunches. You're going to have a hard time having effective sales conversations with your prospects, which is going to create all kinds of problems. You're going to have a hard time really managing and asking your staff for what you need from them and their performance. And I imagine then you're also going to have a hard time really doing right by your client in a negotiation if you're more concerned about what other people think of you. Absolutely. Is, am, I, am, I, you am I taking this a step too far? No, absolutely not. I think that's absolutely right. And you'll be more influenced by what the other lawyer says. You'll be more influenced. And, and you want your lawyer to tell you the truth. You know, I think one thing that, that lawyers fall – a trap that lawyers fall into all the time in the work that they do is telling their clients what they want them to hear instead of the truth. Now, I'm not saying you should make it really – well, like I, 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 when I, before I went to law school, I worked for Otto Obermeyer, and he was later the U.S. attorney in New York for a while. 
And he used to say to the clients, you're in serious trouble. <laughs> I don't know if we can help you with this. And that, you know, I'm not saying that you should say that the partners there were not too happy with him for doing that. But, uh, you know, you definitely don't want them to lie to you. And if they're worried about what you think about them all the time, then they're not going to be their, the most effective. They're not going to have an independent mind. And you really want that, I think. Yeah, I mean, we've all seen lawyers who are more concerned about the client liking them than being able to tell the client what the client really truly needs to hear, including sometimes what the client really truly needs to hear is, if you don't pay me, I won't keep working. And if I don't keep working, things are going to go horribly bad for you. And that will be on you, not on me. So you need to pay me. And lawyers are afraid to say that because they want the client to like them. Right. Well, these people or another are, thing is, don't hire me to be their friend. We can be very friendly, you know, but I'm not being hired to be their friend. I'm being hired to be their their. I'm being hired, and to be their advocate, and that means something different. And you're being hired to tell them the truth and to be their counselor. Exactly. And I think a lot of lawyers lose sight of that, and they're really good at being the advocate, but they're not really good at being the counselor because yeah. the advocate, your back is to the client and you're facing the world, and you'll kill for them. The challenging part I think a lot of lawyers have who are worried about what their clients think about them is when you got to turn back around and face the client and, and have a real honest conversation with them and sometimes tell them things that they really don't want to hear. Yes. And if you're still dealing with this kind of a challenge like you were talking about, that's going to be a really painful conversation to have. Yes, it is. You do you find that you relate to your clients differently? Do you find that you relate to your staff differently now that you've kind of figured this out? I think that it's much, I'm much more direct than, than I was, and it's much easier for me to be direct. I don't torture myself over it so much. And, and I don't mean nasty, you know, you know, I don't mean necessarily blunt, but I mean more straightforward and it's easier for me to say uh, to my clients you know I they'll you know sometimes clients want to you know we call it control the case you know they'll be like well you should do this and you should do that and you should do the other thing and and you know usually when they want you to do it that way it hasn't worked so great for them to do it that way in their marriage right and so then I'm just going to recreate the attitude that the problem the problematic dynamic in the negotiation that they had working on their own and so I have to say to them listen that didn't work so great for you so I'm going to you're hiring me not just to repeat what you did but to give you my own counsel and advice and and be more direct and honest with that instead of worrying about, well, if I do it a different way, how can I manipulate the situation behind the scenes so he doesn't know that I'm not doing what he wants me to do? You know, it just it's just easier. And better, I think. Any last words of wisdom or advice for lawyers who are listening to this? And, you know, I think there are some lawyers who are listening to this who are probably self-aware and, and honest enough and, and courageous enough to acknowledge that to some extent we all do this. And then I think there's some lawyers who are listening to this right now who probably think they never do this kind of thing. Any words of advice to that, that second group? 
people who think I never act that way, I never do those things. And maybe there's a few who actually don't, but I, I've never met one. Yeah. Well, I think I think my words would be, well, Matt, if you did, right, not saying that you do, but if you did, where would it be? You know, if there was a, where is it that you could be engaging in magical thinking? You know, where are you keeping to doing the same thing and expecting a different result? I find that happen. I see that in my life, even having had this conversation all the time. I'll say, wow, you know, you're still doing whatever and you're expecting something to magically change. You're going to have to do something different in order to have a different result. I think those that's my sort of parting words of advice. To get a different result, you need to do something different. If there's a lawyer listening to this and they want to get in touch with you, make a referral to your firm, how can they get in touch with you? Well, they can go to our website, which is westchesterfamilylaw.com, or email me at Catherine at Westchester Family Law, Catherine with a K, or call, which is 914-738-7765. Westchesterfamilylaw.com. Catherine Miller, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to to, to share to share. This has been really, and this is one of those, this is one of those podcasts that you just imagine there's someone out there who, you know, is thinking that you're speaking directly to him or her, like strumming. Go strumming. strumming. I can hear it in my voice. Right. Uh, strumming me softly with his song. I think is what it was. Right. Strumming. Yeah. Do, 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 do. All right. Thank you so much, and I appreciate your generosity and your time.